leading us into worship with a worshipful song. Um, I'd like to share a few prayer requests and announcements as we get started. Uh, if I can read my own handwriting here. Uh, let's, let's continue to pray for Harry Robinson. Frankly, Harry, Harry's not doing well, so y'all pray for Harry's strength and for his family. Uh, Harry, Harry may be in his last days here on earth, so we know where Harry's headed when God calls him home. But let's pray for Harry. Uh, Alan mentioned Katina Brooks this morning. Continue to pray for Miss Hazel Reeves. Colleen Stevens, who had a, a bad fall last week. Let's continue to pray for Tammy Washburn. Alan spoke with her, and frankly, Tammy's, the grief has, has you know, come upon her strongly in the last few days. So, obviously, we still miss Nick, but compares nothing to what she's probably feeling. So, let's pray for Tammy. Also, the family of Miss Rebecca Hawkins. Uh, her funeral was earlier this week. Uh, Beth East mentioned David Shirley, uh, a friend of theirs. He's going to have five bypasses. Yeah, it's uh, and Miss Kelly Moody, we continue to pray for you and the loss of your sister. Kelly, will you tell me one more time her name? Okay, Childs. And then Randy, y'all continue to pray for Randy Meacham. Randy, um, he was planning on being here today, was dizzy this morning. Donna took him to the ER really early, like at 4 a.m., and um, they're keeping him there to do an MRI to see what's causing his dizziness. So let's pray for Randy and Donna. Student D now is the 13th of... March. That's a Saturday. One day D now. Students, please see Bryson. If you have any questions, there is a sign-up list there on the Welcome Center. Okay. Uh, any other prayer requests, updates, praises? You're in for a blessing today. Bryson is preaching this morning. We had a really, really well-attended 9 a.m. service and uh, I feasted on Bryson's preaching from Luke 5 today. So let's be in prayer for Bryson as he's going to come later to, uh, to bring God's word. I can't figure out the attendance thing. At, at 9, there was a good number of people here. 56. So some weeks there's more at 9, some weeks there's more at 11. So wait, we're just grateful you're here. And I'm grateful to be here. There were several here at uh, 9 that had not been in a while due to COVID, so it was good to see, good to see everybody. So, prayer requests, updates, let's stand on this beautiful day. Bill Grissett, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir?
Good morning. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Rebecca Hawkins' funeral, Neil was telling a story about her coming up to him after a sermon and telling him that it was her favorite yet, and she said it's my favorite because I love the story, and it made me think of this song, um, I Love to Tell the Story, which is a hymn we sang a lot when I was growing up, but when you read um, the words to the hymn and when you sing it, it really just kind of almost called me out on where I'm falling short. Um, and it made me think, you know, I think, I think I do a pretty good job of living out God's word and, you know, showing that through my actions. But I don't do a very good job of verbally telling the story of Jesus and sharing that gospel verbally with people. And um, just this song talks about how that should be an ultimate desire for us believers to, to just love to tell the story of the gospel. And it even says in the last verse, um, tell it for those who know it best are hungering and thirsting for it. So as we sing this, I just encourage you to really kind of pay attention to the words, um, and I pray that it kind of just encourages your heart this morning.
Heavenly Father, God, Lord, this morning may we come to this house, God, just hungry and thirsty to hear your story, Lord. God, I pray that as Bryson gets up here to preach this morning that we are, are not focused on what it is that Bryson is saying, God, but Lord, what you have showed him um, and what you're going to speak through him and tell us each this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you just renew in us a love to tell the story of the gospel, God. Um, Lord, what a beautiful and powerful story, Lord. And God, as we sang in the first song this morning, God, I know and you know that, God, we're prone to wonder, God. But Lord, as believers, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who just reminds us, God, when we are wondering and brings us back to you, Lord. God, this morning my prayer is that you take our hearts and you seal it for your courts above and that you equipped us to go out into the world, God, and just share your love and your grace and your story, God. Lord, for those who, who may not know it best, Lord, just equipped us to do that this morning, God, through, um, through Bryson, God, and through the book of Luke. We just love you and praise you and thank you, and we turn this time of study over to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. With Ms. Eric in the Pack for Children's Church. Good morning. Man, half the group left. A lot of kids here this morning. Um, this morning has been uh, quite a morning, and I told this to the first group, and it doesn't really have as much emphasis now that we've been through you know, an hour of service and all those kind of things, but this morning did not go any way the way in which I'd planned it. Um, I planned a, my alarm to go off at 5.30, and uh, Charlie started screaming at 5.15, and uh, so I went in there and, and picked him up and rocked him for a while, and then I finally sat down to kind of look over things for this morning, and my dog came out of her crate and decided it was time to go outside, and um, once I got back inside, then Brooke was getting awake, so it was time to watch Charlie again while, um, while she got ready, and then when I went to, I planned to get here at 8, and when I went to leave at 8.30, um, my truck wouldn't start. And so I called Neil, and luckily he was passing uh, Kroger when I called, so he stopped and picked me up. And when I got in the car, I heard that Randy had been taken to the hospital last night, and so that was another thing in which I wasn't expecting. And, and, and I told Neil, and um, I told the, the group first in, at 9 o'clock, I said, this morning did not go the way that I had planned, but I can trust in God's plan. And I can trust that this morning, for me, went the way that God wanted it to go, and uh, he can show me the blessings of this morning, and you know, I'm an overthinker, and I'm an overanalyzer, and I'm an overplanner, so maybe God was just trying to get me out of my own way in, in, in preparing for the message this morning, so I'm thankful to him that we're here together. Um, so if you have your Bibles, Luke 5, 27 through 39 is where we're going to be this morning, and I didn't do this in the first service, but I should have, and I just want to thank uh, Alan Brooks, who's back there manning both the computer and the uh, audio board by himself with all the people that we have sick and out right now, so I'm thankful that he's back there, because usually I'd be helping him, um, but uh, he, he lost another one today, so uh, he's manning it back there by himself, but I'm thankful for all those who volunteer in that ministry. Um, so before we go too far into today's text, I want us to look back at just two verses from last week that kind of set the scene for where we're going to be at this morning. So one is Luke 5, 21. 
And it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, and who can forgive sins but God alone? So this is our first introduction to the, to the um, Pharisees in the book of Luke. And the first introduction that we have is that they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking, who is this guy? Right? Who is this guy who says that he can forgive sins? Who is this guy who comes and tells this paralytic to walk? Right? And so this first instinct of the Pharisees is to look at Jesus and say, who does he think he is? Right? And that's kind of going to be their heart and the message of what they have to say throughout Jesus' ministry. Is they're going to look at Jesus and say, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus is going to, is Jesus going to answer them. Um, and often they're going to walk away silent because everything that Jesus says speaks so much truth that they can't even respond. But I, want us, I wanted us to see that because the Pharisees are going to be a big part of what we talk about this morning. Secondly, um, I want us to look at Luke 5, 26, which is the last verse that we looked at last week. And it says, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Now, I want us to hone in really quick on remarkable. Okay, um, I'm going to sound a lot smarter than I am um, here for a moment. But in the Greek, that word for remarkable, which some of your Bibles may say strange or extraordinary, one of those two um, it's pretty common, but the word is paradoxos, which means contrary to opinion or expectation. Contrary to opinion or expectation. So Jesus' ministry of healing, Jesus' ministry of forgiving sin, came about where they looked at that and they said, well, we didn't see that coming. Right? That went against what we expected. That went against what our opinions would have been in terms of this Jesus fellow. So the setting of our passage this morning is following the works of Jesus in the paralytic and their response of, well, that's contrary to what we thought. That's contrary to what we expect. That's contrary to our opinion. And so Jesus is about to come and he's about to say, you haven't seen anything yet. Not only is that going to be contrary to their opinion, but Jesus' life and ministry is going to be contrary to the opinion of the Pharisees. What the Pharisees thought and how they felt about who the Messiah would be and what he would do Jesus is going to do the very opposite of many of the things that they thought. Um, and, and, and often in our lives, Jesus has to break down the walls and the barriers of personal opinion. And he did that in the lives of the, of the Pharisees, and he needs to do that in our lives as well. There's, there's a lot of opinions that we have that go contrary to what Jesus would say. And so Jesus' ministry is breaking down those, those barriers and those walls of personal opinion. So that's what we're going to look at. This morning. So first of all, Jesus gives healing to the sinner. That's, gonna, that's where we're going to be first. So before we get into that, let's read the passage. In verse 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, in Matthew, this is referenced as Matthew. So Matthew and Levi are the same person. Um, I didn't do a very good job of coming up with, somebody asked me afterwards, so why did they use two different names? And I'm going to be honest, I don't know. Okay, I didn't take time. It could be that in the Hebrew or, or I mean, in the Greek, it was, it was the, same, um, the same name, but shortened or, you know, some kind of variation. It could have been that, that Levi became Matthew after the spiritual transformation that took, took part in his life. I don't know, but if I say Matthew or if I say Levi, I just know that it means the same person, okay? So I don't, I don't want to be halfway through and he'd be like, I can't believe he stopped talking about Levi. No, it's the same guy. Um, so he's, uh, follow me. Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and those days they will fast. And he told them this parable. No one tears a piece of tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, and otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Lord, we just uh, we pray that you would show us so much truth in this passage, Lord, not only for for what, Je- what you were teaching then, Lord, but also what you're teaching us now. Um, allow us to, to empty our minds of all the distractions that the world so easily entangles us with, Lord, and that we would be focused completely on this time together and on, on, on your word and on who you are in our lives, Lord. Thank you for the blessings that you, you show us each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, Jesus gives healing to the sinner. That's our first point this morning. We're going to look at it in verses 27 through 32. So, so far in this story, Jesus has dealt with a demon-possessed man, right? Pretty crazy. I don't know about you. I've never been in a situation where I've seen a demon-possessed man or seen a demon come out of a a man, but I, I would imagine that would make quite an impact on me, okay? Secondly, he dealt with a leper, another, you know, big deal thing. You know, we talked about that last week, that they would have been outcast of society. They would have, nobody would have gone near them. I mean, a leper is a big deal. Thirdly, he healed a paralytic, so someone who couldn't walk. The person got up and walked away. Another major impact on the lives of the people listening and seeing Jesus do these works. But the Jews of this time would have said that all of that was simply preparation for his next task, a tax collector. They said, listen, okay, you healed a leper, great. Right? You made the paralytic walk, that's fine, but how can you do anything with a tax collector? That's the heart of the Pharisees and many of those around them is that they looked at this and, and, and if, if, tax, if this was a movie, when it said tax collector, the, the music would have gone dun, dun, dun. You know, there's, there's ominous music behind his very footsteps. Right? The tax collector walks in and you know something bad's about to happen because the whole, the whole mood drops. Right? They, they looked at all these other things that Jesus had done and they said, that was pretty good, but let me see you do anything with that, with that nasty old tax collector. That's the attitude and the heart that the Pharisees and others had towards these people. Now, we've talked about tax collectors in the past. They stole money from, from, from fellow Jews right? And, and kept a lot of it for themselves. They would have been just as isolated from society many, many times as a leper was. They wouldn't have been allowed in court proceedings. They, they, they were often rejected by their families, and they were ridiculed constantly by their fellow man. You know, the only thing that I can think of right now is, like, every time Charlie does something, I, I'm so excited about it, right? Like, he, he's almost crawling. He's so close. Like, he gets almost there, and then he face plants, usually. But he's so close, and I just can't wait for the first time that he crawls, and I can be like, that's my boy. 
right? I can't believe he did it. The first time that he, he walks, that's my boy. Well, the tax collector's dad was probably walking around saying, that's not my boy, okay? How, how's your son doing? Let's not talk about it, right? Not, his, his own family would have looked and said, I don't know that we really want to, to tell people who that is. That's the kind of life that a tax collector would have lived. But anyway, Jesus comes and he passes Levi and he says to him, simply follow me. And just as Peter, when called, left everything, so did Levi. And this may have been the most shocking thing that Jesus had done so far. He has called a tax collector to be his disciple. And the amazing thing is, is there's a good chance that this could have rubbed people even like Peter the wrong way. I mean, think, of, think about what's going through Peter's mind. He's like, Jesus, we got a pretty good group of people that you're collecting here. And all of a sudden, you want to infiltrate that group with a tax collector? Uh, this guy charged me double what it costs usually to tax my fish, right? I've passed this guy a number of times. He's not doing anybody any favors. Are we sure that we want this tax collector to come and be a part of what we've built here? Are we sure we want this tax collector to be a part of the group that we're, that we're putting together? But I want us to see and understand in this, and we're not going to stay on this for too long, but I want us to see and understand that Jesus called Peter and Levi the same way, and their response was to be the same too. And what did they do? They left everything, and they followed him. They left everything and followed him. Everything doesn't just mean that Levi left his position and his money. It means that Levi left his money laundering. It means that Levi lost, left his deception. It let, he left his previous way of life, and, and, and he, he, he dropped all of those things. and said, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm following Jesus now. And so we must recognize that in our own lives and also in the life of Peter, he needed to see that in the same way that Jesus called him, and he left everything, and he was made new, is the same way that Jesus called Levi, and Levi left everything, and Levi was made new. Oftentimes, our personal opinion, and we're going to see that in the Pharisees, gets in our way of seeing the work that Jesus can do in the life of a sinner. How often do I forget how sinful I was when Jesus called me and only see the sins of other people? How often do I forget who I was before Jesus and only see what people are without Jesus? How often do I, do I sit myself on a pedestal thinking, I, you know, God can use me, but he can't use him or her. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has that authority. Jesus has, Jesus can tell you who gives grace and who doesn't. Jesus can tell you who receives. Jesus, Jesus is the authority in this. And so just as Peter and just as the Pharisees need to learn, it's not about our opinion of who and who cannot be saved. It's about our obedience to, to living out the gospel and allowing Jesus to do the work of the saving. And so we see Levi leaves everything. And we see, we see that he's continuously following. Why? Because he throws a party, right? Levi throws a party. This wouldn't have been new for Levi. Levi had money, obviously. And he had friends. And it would have been pretty well known that Levi probably threw parties, you know, every once in a while, had his friends over, they'd eat, they'd hang out, they'd have a good time together. But this party's different. And the difference in this party is that this party has a purpose. And that purpose is not just fun, which there was. That, per- that, that purpose was not just eating, which there was. That purpose was the fact that Levi had something to tell his friends. And what he had to tell his friends is, you've got to meet this Jesus guy. 
You've got to meet this guy who came in and is offering me forgiveness. You've got to meet this guy who came in and is offering me new life. You've got to meet this guy when nobody else will talk to me. You've got to meet the guy who said, come and follow me. You've got to meet Jesus. And so notice that, that, that Levi didn't separate himself from everything. He didn't separate himself from the world, but he invited those who were part of his old life and said, I want you to know about who made me and gave me a new life. And so Levi throws a party and he invites all of his friends over and he says, you need to know this Jesus guy. He did not live this transformed life in quiet. He did not tuck himself away from, from, from everyone and everything. No, he boldly claimed, listen, I'm having you over. And you know why? Because Jesus is here and you need to hear what he has to say. You need to see what he can do. But of course, there's always somebody who likes to ruin a party. And that pe- those people are the Pharisees. And, and here, they, here they come again, right? And so the first time, all they did was think something badly about Jesus. Now this time they're not going to talk to him directly, but they're going to talk to his disciples, right? When we have a problem with something, we're, we're more likely to go to somebody else than to go to the source. That's the same way the Pharisees work. They didn't directly want to confront Jesus, but I'm just going to call Peter over here and ask him this question. So here are the Pharisees. They, of course, they don't go in and eat with everyone else, but they kind of stay out the, outside at the gates and start whispering to each other, can you believe who Jesus is talking to? This guy claims claims to be a teacher, claims to be a, 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 a religious man, and he's in there eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? Isn't that the same Levi I saw sitting at the booth the other day? How, how is it that, he, that Jesus is spending time with him? And so they call over his friends and says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And of course, Jesus being who he is, not only in... Um, not only in his response, but also in his recognition of the question, he answers like this. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's a true statement, a true statement that the Pharisees couldn't even, couldn't even reject, right? If you don't know you're sick, you don't go to the doctor, most likely, right? If I, if I feel completely healthy, then I'm probably not going to the doctor. But it's only whenever I start to see the, the signs and the symptoms of my sickness that I decide it's probably time to go to the doctor. When I had COVID, I really fought going to the doctor for a long time, but then I, I woke up one morning and I couldn't taste or smell anything. And I stuck, I stuck my tongue in a, in a packet of hot sauce. That's a true story. And nothing. And I said, oh, it's probably time to go get tested, right? It's probably time to go to the doctor. And so that symptom forced me to see my need to see someone to fix this, right? To see my need to see someone to, to, to help me through this sickness. And so Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a, di- who need a doctor, but the, the sick. And then he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He, he, he adds on to this and he says, listen, it's not those who think they, that, that they're fine who, who ultimately need help, but it's the ones who recognize that they're not. Now we're the... We're the um, Pharisees, were they righteous? No, but they sure thought they were. I want to I I fixate on the, on the Pharisees for just a second and, and, and talk about a little bit of a description um, that, that my Bible has for the Pharisees, and I think it's a really good one. And so it says this about the Pharisees. It says that there was about 6,000 Pharisees spread over the whole of the Holy Land. They were teachers in the synagogues, religious examples in the eyes of the people. And listen to this, they were self 
appointed guardians of the law and its proper observance. Now the first issue there, right, is what? That they're self <laughs> they're self-appointed. Right? These guys came in and they said, you know who's you know who should be in charge of telling people what the law says? I think I would probably be the best at that. Right? I, I, I am a I am someone who likes to control things, so I was always the person in the uh, in the in the group project to say, I think I should be in charge of this, this, and this. Right? I was a self-appointed person, right? I, I love to come in and say, you know, I think I do the best job of this, this, and this. And so the Pharisees, they said, we're self-appointed. We're making ourselves the ones who tell everybody how they should live. We've kind of decided that on our own. I hope, you, I hope that's okay with you. And so that's the first issue with the, with the Pharisees is they already have a self-inflated version of themselves because they're self-appointing themselves as the, as the overseers of, of the law. Secondly, they considered the interpretations and regulations handed down by tradition to be as authoritative as Scripture. So not only are we going to tell you how you should live, but we're also going to add a bunch of stuff to what God said, and you also have to do that as well. Not only are we going to tell you what God said and hope that you follow that, but we're going to add a whole bunch of stuff to it, and then you've got to do that too. For those of you who don't know, God gave ten commandments you know how many commandments the Pharisees had? 613. 613 commandments, and like 368 of them were don'ts. And that tells you right there that, carry the one, 603 of those were not God's. There were 603 commandments that were based on the personal opinion of the Pharisees themselves. I went and watched a, a play called Fiddler on the Roof. I don't know if any has anybody ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, some of us. I had never even seen it. I thought it was about a fiddler on a roof. And that's, all, that's all I got. And I, I, I went to the play, and the fiddler only showed up like three times. Um, but I went and watched one of our students, John Bledsoe, in the play. Me and, me and my brother-in-law, Brett, went. And it was really good. And uh, the first song in the whole entire play, like everything's quiet, and it starts out, and it goes, Tradition! And I was like, man, that kind of shocked me at first. But the whole song's about tradition. And at one part, the, 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 the main character says, if you were to ask us where our tradition came from, we would tell you, well, we don't really know. But what we do know is that it's our tradition. That was the Pharisees. We have 613 laws to follow. We don't really know where they came from, but you have to follow them. Right? We have 613 laws that you have to follow, and we're not really sure how we got to this point, but we know that you have to follow them, and we're going to make sure you do. So all of this was built around this tradition that the Pharisees had made for themselves, and the very tradition that they made was to separate themselves from people like Levi. They made this whole entire tradition to keep themselves separate from people like the ones who Jesus is having dinner with right now. And so all of that for us to say why do the Pharisees feel so strongly about this? Because the Pharisees feel very strongly about what? About their opinion. They feel very strongly that they have a say in who and who does not follow Jesus, and who and who does not receive grace, and who and who does not come to salvation. They think very highly of themselves, and they look at Jesus and say, you're doing things differently than we would, so you must be wrong. And we have to self-evaluate for a second and say, do we ever do the same? Do I ever look at someone and say, there's no way that that person 
can have salvation in Jesus because they do things right now differently than I would do them. Because here's the thing, without Jesus, you don't know that you're doing anything wrong. It's only in the light of who Jesus is and what he's done that we can recognize and see that Jesus can turn that person you find unsavable into someone who can be used for his glory. If we ever want to look back at an example from Scripture, look at Saul. Who in the world thought that Saul could become Paul and write most of the New Testament as he was handing down orders to have Christians put in prison? Jesus did not see in Levi and these other people who they once were, but Jesus saw in Levi who he could make Levi into. Who Levi could become through the power and the might of the grace of God. So Jesus did not go to these parties and these places to indulge in the sin of those around them. He came to these parties and these places to give an option for them to leave that sin and to live a new life. Jesus did not come to be a part of the problem. He came to offer the solution. And so we must see and recognize that he calls us to do the same. When he's praying for his disciples in John 17, 15, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says, listen, I know my disciples are going to have to be around people who don't believe that I am the Savior of the world. I'm not telling you to, to, to completely take them out of the world. I'm telling you to, to protect them from the temptation of sin and use them to infiltrate and change things in the world. If I'm unwilling to associate with someone who does not know Jesus, then I am, I am giving myself a, a notice that I'm not going to be able to do anything because it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. If I think that I'm too good to be a part of this group and to tell them the gospel, then I don't really recognize the gospel for myself. Alistair Begg says, if I think I was an obvious choice for grace, then I don't understand God's grace at all. If you and I think that we were an obvious choice to be offered salvation, then we don't really understand salvation because it was in when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, that's when Jesus gave us the option of salvation. That's when he opened the door for us to have new life. Our attitude shouldn't be, can God really save them? Our attitude should be, God saved me, then he can save anyone. When Paul, when he was speaking to the, the Corinthians, he went through this long list of these people who wouldn't inherit eternal life. And then he says, remember, that's who you once were. He said, don't you ever forget where you came from. Don't you ever forget that the same people that you're giving no chance for salvation to are, the, are, are, are living the same lives that you were living before God came and entered into your heart and changed your life. It's not up to us to decide who gets to be saved. It's not up to us to decide who gets to experience God's grace. It is up to us to go and tell people about how good it is and allow God to perform the miracle. The angels rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance, and so should we. We cannot allow our personal opinion of who is deserving of grace to get in the way of our call to spread the gospel. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall not perish. Whoever. Right? That, that, that statement doesn't say whoever Bryson thinks. 
That statement doesn't say go into the nations where Bryson says it's okay to go. No, that says go into all nations. Be a people who go and know that Jesus has the authority to change people's lives. And oftentimes, through his grace, we get to be the vessel. But I don't get, I don't get a say in this. And the Pharisees didn't get a say in this. And so Jesus had to break their personal opinion of who was able to be saved by God's grace. He says, it's not up to you. Jesus has authority. So, that's the first thing. Jesus saves the sinner. Secondly, Jesus gives purpose to religious activity. Jesus gives purpose to religious activity. So, 33 um, through 35. It says, they said to him, now John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days, they will fast. And so the Pharisees come with another question, right? They start this pattern of questioning Jesus in his ministry and this pattern of Jesus correcting them, basically. And so they come with this other question. They're basically saying, well, the Pharisees' disciples, our disciples, and John's disciples both fast, but your disciples go on eating and drinking, and you'll notice that this isn't really so much a question as it is an accusation, right? It's, it's a well-worded accusation. It makes me think of a TV show I was watching a couple of weeks ago where this kid got in trouble at school and basically they gave him a trial, right? He got to have a school trial and the principal was the judge. And as the, as the, as the program began, the principal goes, okay, uh, we know that you're guilty, but how do you plead? That's, that's the attitude that the Pharisees were taking in this. Like, we know that you don't have a good answer for this, but how come, you're, how come your uh, disciples aren't fasting? How come they're sitting here eating and drinking and, 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 and celebrating? Right? So they come with this attitude that they're, all, they're right and Jesus is wrong. But fasting and religious activity was another area where the Pharisees took God's law and added their own opinion to it. In God's law, it said that there was only one day that you had to fast. There was a fasting for the Day of Atonement. After the exile, there was like four days added. You know how often the Pharisees fasted? Twice a week. They said, we're fasting on Monday, and we're fasting on Thursday, and we're going to do that every week. Now, is fasting wrong? No. Is fasting something that God and Jesus both say is good for us to do? Yes. But the issue with this is the Pharisees fasted for the activity of fasting, not for the spiritual transformation that it was, it was to be used for. They had lost their understanding of the purpose of fasting. They say, even John's disciples fast, but yours don't. They don't even care why John's disciples are fasting. They're just saying, listen, John's disciples are fasting, so they must be better than you. <laughs> what, what's going on with your disciples? What's going on with your ministry? All they care about is the fact that people are going through the motions of fasting instead of caring about what the fasting is meant to do, what the fasting is really for. I think about whenever I was a, uh, when I was a teenager, we used to do a 30-hour a famine every year where we would get together with some other churches, and like it was to raise money, I think, for like a, a hunger organization. But at the beginning each year, they would tell us, you know, they'd get us all together and be like, this is really a time for you to grow in your walk. This is a time for you to, to, to have some time during the night to, to self-evaluate, some, some time during the night to, to draw near to God, to, 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 to grow in your relationship. And all through the night, you know what I was growing in? Hunger. All I could think about 
was hunger. All I could think about was, was what's the next meal? I kept thinking, I mean, I can't wait to tell my mom where I want to go to supper tomorrow night. And so, yes, did I do the 30-hour famine? I did, but did I lose the purpose of it? Oftentimes I did, because the purpose in any religious activity is not the activity itself, but it's the purpose that God ordains for the activity. And oftentimes I think that's where we, where we, where we swing and miss, is that we're okay with the activity itself, but we lose sight of the reason for it. We've said this before, if I got up here and preached but did not do it out of a heart of love for God and out of a heart of wanting him to be heard, then I'm not preaching to you, I'm lecturing. If we come in here and sing, but it's not God-ordained singing and it's not God who's, who's providing the power of, of the singing, we're not worshiping, we're just singing. And so in the same way, the Pharisees had lost the sense of purpose within fasting. The purpose of the fasting was to look forward to the day that the Messiah would come, to, to mourn of sin, to, to grow in their, in their relationship with God. But the Pharisees had turned this fasting into a simple act or motion rather than a spiritual transformational moment. They had, they had lost their purpose in fasting. And Jesus tells them this with this parable. He says, listen, who can fast while the bridegroom is still there? And so what he... One thing, Jesus is calling himself God once again because God referred to himself as the bride of Israel. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom, I'm, I'm here. He, he, God referred to Israel as his bride. And so he's saying, I'm here, I'm the bridegroom. And secondly, he said, there's no time to fast when I'm here, right? This is a celebration. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding, but they usually serve pretty good food at weddings. The wedding doesn't seem like a great time for me to fast, right? It's almost insulting to fast at a wedding because you're there to celebrate, right? You're, you're there to spend time with the bride and groom. I got like three weddings that I'm lined up to go this year. I'm planning on eating at all of them. Now, if God calls on me to fast at a wedding, I will, but I doubt that he will because that's a time to celebrate. But Jesus also says, pointing to his eventual death, he says, there, there's a time that will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then in those days they will fast, but for now we celebrate. But what I want us to notice and understand, ultimately above all of this, is that Jesus gives purpose to these religious activities. We come here to church on Sundays, and that's great. But if we come in here without thinking of and, and, and devoting ourselves to God, when we, then it's just another thing on our checklist of things to do. That's not why we're here. Whenever we were quarantined at home and we didn't have church for two months, I missed the church. And it wasn't that I missed this beautiful building and it wasn't that I missed these comfy chairs. I was in my pajamas. It's that I missed what God can do when his people come together with one purpose and that one purpose is to glorify him. We must look at everything that God calls us to do with a heart and an understanding that, it's, that, that the purpose of it comes from his calling. The purpose of it comes from his power, his direction. I think Isaiah 58, um, verses 3 through 11, do a great job of, of explaining what I want to say in a much better way than I can say it. So Isaiah uh, 58, verses 3 through 11, this is, this is Isaiah speaking um, to the Israelites on behalf of God. So the Israelites say, why have we fasted and you have not seen it. And why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So the Israelites are like, hey, we fasted today and we haven't seen any response from God. And this is what Isaiah says on God's behalf. 
He says, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday and the Lord will guide you always. And he will satisfy your needs in a, in a scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And so what is Isaiah saying? is that the Israelites are saying, listen, we did it, okay? We, we spent 12 hours. We didn't need a thing, right? Where's the response, God? And God's saying, listen, at the end of your fast, y'all were beating each other over the head. Is that the, is that the response of, of, of true spiritual fasting? Is that the response that you get done with the day and you look up to God and said, all right, I checked it off my list. What's next? No. He said, there is a point to all of this. And the point is to bring you to a place that you weren't at before in your relationship with God. There's a point of a reason that we're here and that is for us to leave differently than when we showed up. It's for God to work a miracle in our life, for us to be encouraged by one another. There's a point to church, but it's not to check it off of our list. It's to transform our lives. And so Jesus said, you're missing it. I'm here. And so why do my disciples celebrate? It's because the Messiah has come. It's because the king has come down and people are, are, are being saved. I've come to do a great work. Will you fast again? Of course you will. Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, and, and he says that, that fasting is good. Right? In Acts, we see the disciples fasting. But no longer do they just have to fast in, in, in anticipation of what will happen, but they get to fast in, in, the, in the anchor of knowing what Jesus has done. Right? We get to fast not only looking towards what Jesus will do, but we get to, we get to fast looking back on what he has done in his death and resurrection. It's not... It's not that, that fasting is wrong, it's that we need to know why we're fasting. And we need Jesus to, to, to transform us in our fasting. It's not just a motion, right? It's not just to go through the motions of this, it's to transform our lives. Last week, or two weeks ago, Terry baptized his granddaughter. What a celebration. You know what they did afterwards? They went over to the fellowship hall and they all ate together as a family. Why? Because that's a joyful moment. It's okay to be joyful. The Pharisees are looking at Jesus like, how are y'all celebrating? Jesus is like, it's okay. I bring joy. <laughs> when people are saved, it's, it's a joyful moment. 
This morning, I grabbed Charlie before I left, and I said, Charlie, what do you want, what do you want me to say this morning? And he looked at me and said, I, 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 you know. I was like, I got it. Um, but he didn't say much, obviously. He can't. But in looking at Charlie, I feel like the Lord told me, see the joy in life. Sometimes it takes holding your son to see the joy in life. Sometimes it takes, it takes seeing someone baptized to see the joy in life. But know that God hasn't just called us to times of mourning, which he has. He hasn't just called us to times of repentance, which he has. But he's called us to times of joy as well. And the Pharisees have missed that. Levi has gone through the time of repentance. And that's, that's such an important time. But now he's enjoying the time of joy. So whether it's fasting or feasting, let it be not man-made and man-centered, but God-made, God-centered, and God-ordained. Because that's when true purpose takes place. And finally, Jesus gives a, way, a better way to live, and I'll be, I'll be quick. He told them this parable in verse 36. He says, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. So Jesus takes his teaching on fasting, and he builds on it with two more statements. One, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Now, I'm no seamstress. Right? I, don't think I've, I don't think I've ever done any type of needlework or anything like that. Okay? I don't even know the lingo, so please bear with me if you are. All right? You can talk to me afterwards make sure I know all that, all that stuff for, for a later on message. But the point is, I don't think anyone in their right mind would go and, and ruin a new shirt to patch up an old one. Right? I'm not going to buy a new shirt and I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to buy this new shirt, cut out a piece, and stick it on my old shirt. Right? One, it just doesn't make any sense. And two, the new patch won't hold because that old shirt is worn out, right? It'll tear away, and it's going to create a bigger hole. So that's the first example he uses. The second one is wine and wineskins, and I really didn't know anything about this. So I had to, I had to do some commentary work. But in, in the Old Testament, or at this time, they put wine in wineskins made out of, like, goat skin. And so basically, as, as the wine was poured in there, it would ferment and grow and as it grew, the new wineskins would expand with it. Okay, so that's why you put new wine in new wineskins. If somebody tried to pour new wine in an old wineskin, then as the wine began to expand, the wineskin would have no room to expand. It's already stretched out, and so it would burst. And so and then you got wine on the floor, wineskin ripped apart, and nobody wants that, right? So two examples where something new doesn't fit with something old. And that's what Jesus is saying in, in, in a, in a build-up to this fasting moment. Jesus is saying, listen, I did not come to patch up the old, worn-out system of the Pharisees. I did not come to, to add a couple of more laws to your 613. Right? I'm not buddy-buddying myself with the elite system of the Pharisees. I have come to bring something new. I've come not to patch up an old system, but I'm fulfilling the law, and I'm bringing something new and something wonderful, and, and, and don't miss this, something better. I think oftentimes we know that Jesus has produced new life in us, but do we recognize that he has produced better life in us? Jesus not only provides a new way to live, but he provides a better way to live. Well, why does he have to make this point? Because he knows not everyone has experienced the new life and knows how good it is. In verse 39, he says, No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. He says, Some people are unwilling to even try the new. Right? They're so, they they want to hold, hold on so much to that old wine that they're unwilling to even try the new. 
But Jesus said, if they just got a taste, if they just got a taste of what the new life represents and what the new life gives and how you can, how you can be in the new life, they would forget the old completely because they know the new is so much better. Don't hold on to that old shirt. Put on a new one. My dad's got some old shirts. I think about this all the time. When he works in the yard, some of you guys may have these shirts too. It's like 45% of the shirt it used to be because there's so many holes in it, right? There's so many places, and he really loves that old shirt. And sometimes I'm like, Dad, just buy you a new shirt, right? He wants to hold on to that old shirt so bad. Well, that's how we are with our lives. Oh, I just want to hold on. I just want to hold on to, the, to this, old, this old part of me. I want to hold on to this old part of who I was. But Jesus said, I didn't come to patch up your old life. I came to give you a completely new life. It's not only new, but it's new and improved. It's a new covenant. Luke twenty two twenty says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Not only have I, have I brought something new, I've brought something better. Not everyone wants to let go of that old life, but Jesus says, if you would just taste the new. Levi didn't say, okay, Jesus, I'll see you tomorrow at the tax collector's booth. No, he said, I'm leaving this and I'm following Jesus. Peter didn't say, all right, I'll see you on the fishing boat tomorrow. No, he said, I'm leaving this and I'm following Jesus. And so in the same way, when Jesus calls you to follow, you can't say, well, I'll follow you, but I'm going to hold on to, no, that stuff, is, that stuff is gone and the new is here. And it's better. And it's greater. And it's eternal. Jesus wants us to hold on to Jesus wants us to let go of that old life and, and, to, and to hold on to the new that he's given us. Don't hold on to that old sin. Don't hold on to that old hopelessness. Don't hold on to that old despair and that old fear. Let it go and grab onto the new life provided in Jesus. And I think the greatest um, example of this that I've heard is, is um, in Philippians where um, Paul's speaking. And I, I looked it up, and this was actually the first thing that I preached whenever I was actually applying for, for the job here. And so that was, that's pretty cool. Um, but every time I read this, it, it brings something new out in me. But it's Philippians 3, um, the middle of verse 4 through uh, verse 11, I think. And I'm gonna, I'm just, I'll be done after this, okay? It says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So uh, Paul's saying, listen, I had everything going for me in terms of what the world says is important. But in verse 7 it says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The old life is garbage. In comparison to what Jesus offers, the old life is, gar is, is garbage. It's thrown out. It's not something to patch up, it's something to, to, to throw away. Because the new life in him is so much greater. 
But Jesus has to break the personal opinion in our life that the old life is better. Right? He has to show us the reality that the new life isn't just, isn't just new, but it's greater. It's eternal. It's forever. And so in our, in our closing, um, we're going to sing um, one of my favorite songs, and How Deep the Father's Love. And uh, I think we sing it every time I preach. But luckily, you know, people don't realize it because it's so, you know, so many times between. Um, but people don't realize it. So we're going to sing How Deep the Father's Love. And a couple of things that that song says. One, it was my sin that held him there. We, got, we, we, we have to recognize that truth. Not only for ourselves, but for our interactions with others. That person, they, they, they've done some bad things in their life. So have I. That person has, has lived in sin, for, that so did I. That person, there's no way, that, so did I. It was my sin as much as it was theirs that held Jesus to the cross. And it's his grace that can transform that person's life the same way it transformed mine. So don't allow your personal opinion of who and who cannot be saved to get in the way of your call to be a disciple maker in the world. The second, the second uh, phrase that I, that I love from this song is, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. This isn't about what I think is important. This isn't about ultimately what I think the way things should be, should be. No, I don't boast in anything that comes from the flesh of Bryson. I only boast in what comes from the spirit of Jesus Christ in Bryson. That's the life of a transformed person one that recognizes their sin, but also recognizes that Jesus has done such a great work in me, and there's something better now to boast in, and that's, that's Jesus. That's his life that he has given me. So, as we sing, think about that for yourself. What, what personal opinion barriers does Jesus need to break down in your life and in mine? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we get to just to come and, and, and read your word, Lord. I thank you for those who are here, Lord, who, who have taken time to be here and, and to hear your word. And Lord, I just, I pray that we, we come here each week with, with the purpose of, of being transformed, Lord. I don't ever want the, my, my time spent with you to, to, to be just a, a motion of activity, Lord, but I want it to have purpose and meaning. And that only, the only purpose and meaning that I can have is when you're at work in it. So Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to that, Lord. Show us ways in which we need to live differently now. Lord, show us what we need to let go of, what you're trying to give us, which is better and greater and new. Lord, allow us just to follow you wholeheartedly in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Um, if you didn't hear anything I said the whole time, just go take that song and read it over and over again, or sing it over and over again, and you've got the gist of it. So, um, so good. I love that song, and I, I pray that it, um, as we leave today, we see that truth. Like, why should I gain from his reward? I don't know, but thank, thank God I did. Um, and so, that's, that's the way we live as, as, as changed believers. Don't forget tonight at 6, uh, Jeff Rood's teaching the adults. He always does a great job. And Neil is teaching the youth for me. He gets a little taste of his own medicine. And uh, so he gets to come over to our side and, uh, and, and teach for the youth. So that's going to be at 6 o'clock as well. And um, am I missing anybody? I think that's it. So um, good. We're going to close our service with singing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus together this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Y'all have a fantastic week. Yeah.